you show up in Vienna in December? Uh, uh, did you? No, I couldn't, but did you? I need to know it's important to me. Why, if you didn't? Well, did you? Oh, oh thank God you didn't. <laughs> well, thank, I'm God. Like, uh, thank God oh you didn't. God. I mean, thank God I didn't oh. and you didn't. I mean, one of us had showed up there alone, and that would have sucked. I know, I know. I was so concerned with that. I, I always felt horrible about not being there, but I couldn't. You know, my grandma died a few days before, and she was buried that day, December 16th. She that died day. The, the one in Budapest? Yes. You remember that? Yeah, I remember everything. Of course, it was in your book. But anyway, oh, so. I was about I was about to fly to Vienna, you know, and uh, and I and we heard the news about her, and uh, of course I had to go to the funeral with my parents. Yeah, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I don't know. But you weren't there anyway. Wait, why weren't you there? I would have been there if I could have. I made plans, and we. You better have a good reason. What? Oh no. <laughs> Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host Mike, and we kick off our second trilogy with the Richard Linklater film, Before Sunset. Now this is exciting, because we have taken an established trilogy, a beloved trilogy, <laughs> and we've decided, no, 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 we know better. <laughs> We're just going to take that middle chapter. Well, I mean, it's worked for, uh, I don't know, maybe it hasn't worked for, like, Star Wars community picking and choosing which parts, which movies are beloved uh, in in their various trilogies. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't believe uh, the Before trilogy is, uh, you know, I, I think you can still purchase that uh, from Criterion, uh, an official Before trilogy box set. Yes, I actually opened up my box set. I was like, okay, it's it's time to watch this uh because and i have it digitally as well but i made sure for this podcast like i want to watch it in the highest quality possible to really absorb it the funny thing is i know you so well i'm like well what will handle that meanwhile i'm in bed already i don't have to get up because i own the digital copies of all of these so one click of a button and we're uh we're in paris for this this is like the uh the, the jumping ahead point uh, when Ethan Hawke actually makes something of himself, his character of Jesse, and has written a book about failing at love, which is, what is that, 90% of all art web is probably that exact theme? Absolutely. it, And and that's where the, I think, the creative minds and that's where the inspiration comes from. It's tragedy that's always makes for the best stories. Uh, did you... Did you watch these films as they were released? Yeah, only in the sense that I was late to before sunrise. I I was probably not old enough to be aware or interested in like a uh, you know a misconnections type thing. I mean, I I, pro I think I was like twelve when it came out, so that would not have been on my radar. Now 
when I became a teenager, it suddenly became on my radar because I remember in the late 90s, I worked in a video store, small town video store where I come from. And I distinctly remember having this movie on before sunrise, not the one we're going to talk about. You know, we, we already picked the best of the trilogy as we established. Um, and I liked it because when you're working in that type of environment you have to have like a movie on, uh, cause that's what you're selling or, or films to people. Uh, I liked talking movies cause I couldn't actually be watching oh, them. Yes, so just hearing yes, the conversation. Yes. <clears throat> so I, I really grew to appreciate this movie just for the conversations. Not so much that I like had this, uh, fantasy of, of an encounter such as this, which is very much skewed heavily romantic because in this case the Ethan Hawke character is a romantic I mean at at heart he's he's sort of reveling in what's happening to him in this one night uh, but I distinctly remember an attractive young lady that I went to uh, high school with coming in and saying how much she adored this movie and suddenly I was the world's expert on this film <laughs> 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 suddenly it was one of my favorites uh, not just because it starred two chatty Cathy's that I could sort of have in the background, like predating podcasts, but uh, that's what turned me on to follow the series. So going forward, yes, before sunset and before midnight, as soon as they became uh, available in my market, I was there opening weekend for those theatrically. Boy, uh, I'm going to sound like the bat cinephile here. I heard about Link later, much later in life, you know, and uh, when when before... Midnight was finally coming out, and I was like, oh, hey, there's a new Lincoln Later film. My brother, who's the real cinephile, I guess, between the two of us, he's like, yeah, we got to finish the trilogy. I was like, what are you talking about? So <laughs> then I had to go back and, and look up these other two films, and I absolutely disliked Before Sunrise because maybe at that point in my life, the two characters are a bunch of snot-nosed kids who just... <laughs> You know, the things that they're discussing. Now, I will preface this to try to redeem any kind of credibility I may have. It's too late. They've already dipped <laughs> out of the podcast. It's just me and you now. <laughs> and haters, haters of this series that you've attracted to this podcast. Right. I have not watched Before Sunrise since the first time I saw it. Hmm. Um, and I can't, you know, after that first viewing, I couldn't even believe I continued uh, this one. It was just like I had just watched Bernie. I had seen Days and Confused, all those wonderful films by Linklater. So I knew that I wanted to watch Before Midnight, but I needed to get through part two and, and <laughs> to revisit. <laughs> the film we're doing a podcast on, Webb had to get through, through it. <laughs> the first time. And I, I decided, go ahead, let's, okay, let's revisit these punk characters. And... I was amazed that it legitimately went through that uh, the, the real time gimmick really mm -hmm. really well. In fact, the films are nine years apart, as are the, the the stories that take place between the two films. I appreciate it in this viewing uh, much more because I haven't seen uh, Before Sunrise since the first time I saw it. The opening sequence where you've got uh, Jesse Jesse discussing the book and essentially recapping the first movie and it's spliced in just sequence just a few frames every now and then over the it was really powerful i was very very connected to that because as you get older the past just seems brighter and brighter and that's something straight out of watchmen and it's always stuck with me and i look at before sunrise 
as something I had to get through. But now that I've watched Before Sunset and Before Midnight, it really seems like, wow, they, they were just kids then. And I really often think about my own experiences with, with love or, or what I thought was love at the time. And I was like, wow, I was just a kid. I didn't know what I was doing. And that's how I kind of feel about Sunrise. Boy, we talked about a lot of things that are that's not the movie that we're. <laughs> As you point yeah. out, the, this film covers in the span of like a minute, <laughs> like gets it it gets you in that headspace very quickly, very in and out. I don't know how effective it would be if you weren't bringing that sort of baggage that the characters are. But yeah. I actually think because you asked before we did this, are you going to watch you know revisit any other ones? And I said no, I just wanted to watch it on its own, but. After we're done with this recording, I think it will obviously have rekindled my interest to check out the other two or revisit the other two. But I just wanted to just watch it as a singular thing. And I think it actually still works. If you just stumbled into this and had not seen the first film, I think you you would get where they're they're coming from. But I want to touch on (laughs) your hatred of young people, which I like, (laughs) Um, (laughs) because, uh, you know, even in my video store days, there was that... I guess then you can aspire to have that adventure. Like you can meet a woman in uh, another country and, and she comes from a different place and uh, you have this bond that you know is limited and they don't want to ruin the purity of it by like exchanging, you know, practical things like phone numbers or like an address. <laughs> right. <laughs> that sort of thing. Uh, so there is obviously going to be some judgment, but what this film provides are those characters making the same judgments on their their sort of youth and their their inexperience and almost i would call it ego on how often these things will happen to you in life and the the saddest part about before sunset is we come discover these two characters have had nine years and they haven't found that again and one of them is married and with a with a kid and it's almost like the the characters get to revisit face to face how dismissive they were about this connection that they had and at the time thinking yeah this is great and i'd really like to sleep with him or her but surely with the passage of time it'll happen again and these characters have discovered that no it it really did not like what i like best about before sunset is it seems like both characters could have happy lives or an existence but they wouldn't have the the happiest version of that and they got the a glimpse ideal. of it yes. they got a glimpse of it and now what the, the interesting thing about the second film is Ethan Hawke plays it like isn't this great this is like possibly a second chance and he seems you know he wants to get her to the hotel he bring he he kind of brings up this he steers the conversation in a sort of sexually charged way where they could like oh we could have another night uh, and it's Julie Delpy who plays it like, you know, what we had is sort of tainted every other romantic experience since. Like, you were like a disease. Yes. <laughs> I can't get rid of it. <laughs> it is two very different looks at it, but both I think both are uh, equally valid looks at, like, basically how to take the – how to look at the past and how to move forward. Well, I think i got to correct you on one thing. While I agree that Delpy with Celine's character, mm-hmm. she does see it that way. But because Jesse showed up to uh, was it the train station? I feel like he knew that that was something special, and her not showing up has completely fractured his 
ability to love maybe in that way and then he's using all these different things like maybe a marriage and the child to fill up fill in those gaps that's that was left and that moment too where uh, uh celine realizes like wait a minute why weren't i gave you a legitimate reason why i wasn't there why weren't you there and he can't come up with a reason it doesn't take him long the, the, no he uh he definitely does not have uh, an art vandalay uh, <laughs> at his disposal, he just not, <laughs> he doesn't have the quick lies of a Costanza. He doesn't have a playbook that he goes to uh, and and call out as his favorite alias or, or favorite. Uh, you know, I'm an architect. Um, I you know he he's also someone that's it's I think it's when they first are sitting down because you know obviously this movie's gonna be a lot of walking and talking and the movement of the characters in this movie is so fascinating like in the first one it's obviously like you know stealing sort of glances at each other and this like budding like flirtation and like who's going to make the first you know move or uh and you know at that age it almost seems like far more acceptable like there's you know just the mere mention of having a wife and child at home uh, it's almost as if i mean they're not present but there, there is that presence of adulthood now that that sort of makes everything they do kind of dangerous here, and it's interesting to me like how comfortable Ethan Hawke is when he's getting to do the walk and talk, like it's and the movie itself seems far more comfortable and it feels far more romantic when they're just you have this beautiful scenery. But anytime that they're just have to sit next to each other, like there's there's a great moment uh, in a car where when one of them is looking away, like you can tell the other one, like just one, like Julie Delpy has this moment where her hand just almost touches his head, like all of this stuff where it's like, is almost painful to be in such close proximity to someone, um, where they have to really confront the fact that it's like, well, this, this may be it. This may be all we have. But he, he says something in the cafe early on. I think it's the first time they actually like settle for, you know, maybe a five minute stretch where he kind of speaks of his fear of having ever evolving desires that, if he gets one thing like one accomplishment that he'll never he never like has this belief that he'll ever fully be satisfied which also makes him kind of a dangerous character in that way you're oh my gosh you're like reading right off of my list of notes that i have for this film you're right that that scene where uh she reaches out and doesn't touch him brutal and, and heartbreaking and it's kind of like an inverse have you seen um in the mood for love Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. It, it it really reminded me of uh, the sequence where they're also in the taxi and they are touching each other. It's a completely opposite film. Really, they don't say anything to each other the whole freaking movie. That would not that would not have worked for my video store days as far as the chatty no. Cathy's I need in the <laughs> not background. At not at all. And of course, uh, uh, the one quote that I have uh, written down here is, "I'm designed to be dissatisfied with everything." <laughs> Well, that's a web quote if I've ever heard <laughs> a character on screen before. Right. And I, I say that as, you know, you're uh, presumably a happily married man, father, but our conversations when it comes to pop culture. No, no. <laughs> yeah, no, never. You're, everything, you're, everything you're a shark is... of pop culture. You, you always have to stay in constant movement and never satisfied. Everything is Donnie Darko. <laughs>
one of the things that uh, you touched upon is it's a very chatty movie. There's a lot of walking. Is Richard Linklater doing anything? <laughs> or is he just letting these two actors uh, do what they want to do? How much of the success of this movie is because of this guy? Because of Linklater? Yeah, because of Linklater. Hmm. Because I don't want to take it away from him. Could, could anybody have directed this? Or is this legit? Like somebody behind the camera needs to be as careful as he is. And I often look back at something like My Dinner with Andre, because that's also another film where it's just two people talking the whole time. And yet, I feel like Louis Maul has to be behind that camera. So, yeah, is it, were there moments where you're like, wow, he directed the shit out of that scene? Or is is that not really what the movie is about? I don't. I mean, I don't think so. That no, it's it's still a, by virtue of you know the the location, the city that they're in, uh, these two beautiful actors that we have. It's hard to say like, oh, this is like unappealing or unattractive. Like, no matter what they're saying, like it, it looks great. I would say where I would give him credit is this clearly looking at his filmography. Like this one, it's not just because there's three of them. Uh, it does not appear to be an outlier like you know his remake of bad news bears uh <laughs> like i i think what he brings to the table is genuine interest in the concept and in in these two characters i i think he brings his own sort of experience of warmth to what I, what what are very flawed people like this they're actually kind of like because of the constraint of uh time which he's obviously you mentioned boyhood he's very interested in, in how the, the passage of time uh affects people and and characters on on screen here we're used to certain beats in like rom-coms uh which primarily if hollywood makes romance films which this is not i would not consider this a rom-com any of them no that's no. that's how they that's how they're going to give you your, your your version of romance is that we have to pull back and have some funny sidekicks, uh, that sort of thing that we have to have some cover because we don't, we don't want to make people uncomfortable on date night, <laughs> by having these sort of <laughs> existential questions where they're like, if you're sitting with your partner and you have a child and then you're thinking back to like, I had an experience, uh, in Europe. <laughs> once, <you know? laughs> like I, I went and watched before midnight with my wife and I, I loved it. I'll, I'll go ahead and out. That's my favorite of, of the trilogy. Like by far it's before midnight. It's also the most aggressive <laughs> as far as the conversations that they're having. And my wife really loves these movies, but she would not say that was her favorite. And in particular, she would say, I remember her saying, that's not a good date night movie. Like <laughs> you don't come out <laughs> feeling warm and fuzzy. Uh, you feel challenged. You feel like you were went out with your two married friends that are just arguing all the time. So to answer your question, finally, I, I would say that it's his, he gives these characters enough rope to be unlikable at various points in the film both of them um i i think that jesse here and you see it through the whole trilogy he has glimpses of maturity but his his main way to interact with uh, a love interest the opposite sex in particular celine here is to revert back to boyishness to the sort of puckish and she calls him out like in the first film she says he looked like when she uh when he was uh putting the moves on her for the first kiss that he looked like a fumbling teenager. <laughs> and I think he, he looks like that here. Like when you know when he brings up uh fucking in the hotel room. Yeah. 
him even saying that word, it's like a boy putting on his father's coat or something. Like it, it seems like he knows this is not normally how I would say this, but I'm gonna go for it. And then, then he retreats back. And as far as her, she can she openly admits to a, a lot of anger here, directed at him, directed at the world, directed at um, just her general unhappiness. And basically, that anyone that can show her something good, she she expresses equally like the fact that maybe she also will always be to some degree unsatisfied that they're not going to meet her expectations of the world. And with her career path, her, her sort of activism, like she kind of has set a standard that if you can't meet that, then that's more your problem than hers. But she's lamenting the fact that like no one can meet that particular standard. And I'm watching the movie. And it's not just because I've seen before midnight, the next one. I don't think Ethan Hawke is that, that guy. I don't know if you ever get that impression, but I'm like, I don't think he's that serious about, such things because when she touches on these matters he's like yeah but i mean you know things are getting better right and <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're watching it in 2020 eyes and i'm like oh son <laughs> like, like in 2004 you didn't know but he says it in that kind of puckish way but it's also like you know he's waving the flag that it's like i don't really want to care that much i just want to stay like i want to care about my life and i don't think that's wrong of me either i'm not saying it's wrong but it does look like it could be wrong for her Right, he's all. He's the one who was always bringing up the night throughout this film. He is always looking at her, just the entire film. Anytime he can steal a glance, he absolutely does. And I guess I'll, I'll kind of answer my own question: is I do think Linklater deserve, deserves the credit, and he this film is absolutely his work. I like to imagine him now giving us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts, like he was listening <laughs> <Right>. along. <laughs> All right, these guys are fine. They're okay in my book. Just his hand hovering over the <laughs> unsubscribe button. Uh, the, uh, and one of the sequences that I absolutely loved, and you often wonder, like, well, why is this here? Is that walk upstairs to her apartment? It's almost, I think it's uncut, and they don't say anything, and it's like, I know that's it's why it's why. there. <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> I've been Jesse. <laughs> Yeah, let me just walk you in the door. <laughs> right. You play guitar? Let me come in. Yeah, play me a song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and actually, let let's finish up with that that song. Wow. I man, and it's a film that for the most part doesn't really have a score. But no, no. And so with these moments of music, I was awed the whole time, and uh, I'm not. I'm not in love. With uh, uh, Julie and the Celine character, but in that moment when she's singing that song and she's doing her little dance, like you are going to miss your plane, you know, it's just it. Yes, I finally get it. It took me a little while, and by say a little while, I mean the movie is barely eighty minutes. But it took Web seventy nine though to, <laughs> to have any sort of warm feelings in this too. <laughs> I got there in the end, though. I got there in the end. A uh, perfect way to finish the film, by the way. He's like, yep, I know I'm going to miss that plane. Mm -hmm. Perfect way. Just um, And and I was, in my, in my first viewing, and then even this one, I was, and when it fades to black, I, I still, I was in shock at, at what I had just seen and the way, how elegantly the film um, finished on its own terms. Just, just really, really uh, profound. Well, yeah, because I wouldn't say that... Um... 
the first one uh, is elegant in any real way. I mean, the the two primary characters, they're very much of their their time. That that early to mid nineties, uh, you know, twenty somethings, where they're, you know, they, they you could find the love of your life, and by God, you're going to talk yourself and the other person out of it. Like you, these two are going to talk and talk and talk anything to death. To where you wonder, like, you know, how could they keep this up? Like, how could you keep up this? You know, it's one thing to have banter, but my goodness, like, they they go, like, they get tired of the banter and they want to get to the the substance of the the discussion, which inevitably leads to an attack <laughs> on each other's like viewpoints. And what's great about that ending is, at some point in that car ride, there was just an acceptance of we can talk and talk about this, uh, we can lament what didn't happen, but both of us know that now that this opportunity has been presented in front of us, we're going to see it through whatever that means, even if it is, you know, and I think at the end of this film, it could just be one more night. I don't know, but obviously since there's a trilogy that we will no longer discuss, we will, <laughs> we will have two <laughs> other entries with different characters, different actors and filmmakers. We we know it goes further, but uh, you know, there, there's so much discussion of of fate here and destiny uh, that I think we'll get into with our wrap up show because I think that's probably more befitting uh, when we get into the other films. Um, but certainly, Webb, I've walked up those steps. I've known. <laughs> well, I've had the, the you know the the preconceived notion that there's a certain fate for me tonight, and <laughs> I hope I'm up to the challenge. And I have to admit, if I saw Julie Delpy doing that little song and dance and saying that i don't know if i would be up to it like i there's no talk about being unsatisfied that is gonna be one unsatisfied woman if i'm <laughs> at the other end of that. day. 
just want another try. I just want another night. Even if it doesn't seem quite right, you meant for me much more than anyone. Sing. 